This is Michael Zuber, and I just wanted to thank you for listening to my One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that I took the time to document the entire process I used to learn my market and actually still use today? I released it as a $199 online course via Teachable, and it is called How to Get Started One Rental at a Time. With that, you get access to my private Facebook group and can join our group mentoring calls every Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific. You can find it on my website at onerentalatatime.com. Now on with the show. Hey, everyone. How are you doing today with Greg Dickerson, my first expert talking about building new homes? And what we're going to do in episode number three is really take the conversation from episode number one and two and transition it to the biggest part of the single family home market, and that is existing home sales. So how are you doing, Greg? Doing great, Michael. How about you? Oh, I'm doing well, man. I really appreciate your time. You are my expert builder, developer, ground up, all of it. I just had to talk to you about this. We're going to transition this third conversation to what does it mean for existing home sales, right? The first two conversations have been about, okay, new asset class, new homes being sold off to deep pockets. But you and I both know when we look at sales, you know, the majority, 85% of them are older homes, right? It's called existing home sales for a reason. So what does all this mean for existing home sales, you think? Well, right now, really nothing because there's just no inventory at all. A lot of the new builds that we're seeing, you know, there's a lot of competition for those because they can't, you know, the builders can't keep up with demand. But what we were talking about before the for rent product isn't really going to affect the resale market because that's not even coming online. That's, I mean, they're not even going to be considered comps necessarily, tracked as comps because yeah. it's a different different type of an asset sale. So it'll be really interesting to see how appraisers look at those package sales like that, if they can even, you know, we can get the information from the tax records, but I'm not sure how that even records, you know. Yeah, I don't think it'll be, I don't think it'll be a comp. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be the package, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah, it'll be pretty, pretty interesting to see how they actually record that at the municipal level, you know, for real estate acquisition transactions, you know. Yeah, tax basis and all of that. They track it individually, but you know, as far as the resale market goes, new construction would typically, so normally the way it worked would be um, if there was no inventory, then you build. Mm-hmm. And typically you could build cheaper than you could buy when there's limited inventory. Correct. Well, what's going on now is that it's kind of, they're kind of outpacing each other. You know, I don't know, I don't know what's cheaper now, whether it's cheaper to build <laughs> or buy. It's probably, they're both about right at the same, you know, because oh, exactly. construction costs yeah. have gone through the roof. Usually construction costs remained in check. So it would be cheaper to build than buy when inventory levels were down in resales, yeah, you know, because there was just nothing out there. So existing home sales prices would go up and your construction costs didn't. What we've seen this time, primarily due to the pandemic and supply chain constrictions and labor force issues, mm-hmm. construction costs have sh- you know shot through the roof. So I don't I don't know for single family homes in most areas if you can build cheaper than you can buy right now because you know, the prices are going up on that new construction, just like they are on resales. Yeah, this is something I would, I wanted to talk to you about, because none of my other experts would have experienced this is, uh, they're talking about a thousand board feet, I think is what they call it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it costs over a thousand dollars or $1,100 now. And historically speaking, it's always right around $300, right? So that's, mm-hmm. that's a 300% increase. And then you add on top of that wage inflation, because again, we lost a whole, you know, thousands and tens of thousands of skilled skilled construction workers in the last crisis, they went off and did other things, trucking and shipping, and, and they're not coming back. So you also, you, you have three X input costs and a wage problem. Yeah. It's, it's probably cheaper to buy existing homes and remodel today in, in lots of areas, I would assume. 
Yeah, even with all the competition, you know, and, and, you know, it's funny too, because there are houses that aren't selling even in the hot areas. You know, I made a video about it the other day um, that, it, you know, build it and they will come doesn't always work. You know, it's got to be the right thing in the right area at the right price for the right market and the right customer. And, you know, um, you, you, you can look in your market right now and I'm sure you can find you know, oh, a yeah. hundred houses or more that are on the MLS that haven't sold. So, oh, for sure. you know, not everything is selling, not everything is getting bid up. You know, so it's it's really interesting. But, you know, to your point in terms of construction costs, escalations, you know, I mean, you know, I build houses in batches, you know, when when I can find the land. And um, the last batch I built, I saw houses, they were only a few months apart, but construction finishing, you know, mm -hmm. a few months apart, costs were up like five to 10% on each house. Oh, wow. Because every time I turn around, roofing was going up again, concrete was going up again, insulation, you know, lumber was kind of in check at that point. You know, um, and lumber just recently over the last year or so just started going through the roof. You know, now you've got issues with mechanicals, appliances, yeah. plumbing, and then, you know, then the labor costs, that's the big one. You know, electrical, plumbing, HVAC, if anybody's watching and you want to take advantage of this economy, become a plumbing, electri you know, electrical or HVAC <laughs> exactly. contractor. Those guys are raking it in. Yeah, no college education required. Go get, go get a trade. You got to know what you're doing, but, yeah. you know, but yeah, you don't need a degree. You don't, you know, you need to get certified, licensed, take your mm -hmm. test, all that kind of stuff, you know, sure. so there is some education, obviously, component to it. But, um, you know, especially plumbing, man, that's one of the easiest trades in residential that's making the most money right now. Yeah. Re really, what I want this third conversation to be about is I, I said about a year ago, and I'm going to say it now again, that I think when you look over the, this decade, right, we, when you're through this decade and you look in the rear view mirror, if that makes sense, right? So you fast forward and then rewind. Uh, the single family home market is going to be proved to be one of the best assets to own, right? If you get in now, you have remarkably cheap debt. I think debt's much more expensive in five to 10 years than it is today. Mm -hmm. uh, you have this, this juxtaposition with, okay, you know, people want space, Maybe we go renter nation, which we'll talk about in a minute. But again, if you're the owner of the asset that more people want, inflation, supply, demand means, you know, existing home sales, again, to quality in the right area, they got to go up in value, right? And again, if we become a renter nation, why is that? Well, that's because the single family home is too damn expensive to buy, which happens in some European countries, right? I went to, I think it was Switzerland, I think I was in. Where like 80% of the homes, not apartments, 80% of the homes were owned by insurance companies, right? Mm -hmm. We could get to that level. I mean, I hope. Yeah, not. people could get priced out of the market, but that's, you know, that's only if the rates remain low like they are, you know, with, with demand like it is. And see, that's the thing. As soon as rates go up, the values come back down. So, uh, you know, if we see rates get back up into that four or 5% range, you know, that's going to significantly affect the values of housing and the demand for it. Because well, it's, again, it's an affordability play. Oh, it's ab without a doubt, right? Big thing in my book was affordability index tells me when to get, get in, get out. But I want to play with that just a little bit. Because one of the things we see with these deep pocket investors is they're not borrowing money, right? Right. So, you know, they buy, they buy, you know, 35 or 32 million, whatever homes in Texas, they're not going to borrow that money. So yeah, if rates go up, it hurts mom and dad, right? I, you know, my affordability, I can't pay it, but maybe that just forces me to become a renter. And maybe mm -hmm. we go from a 68.5% ownership to a 65 and a 63. And what's the answer? Well, maybe we all start renting from insurance companies and hedge funds. And because of the, the demand still going to be there, I think to have space, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they're looking at the cap rate play, so they're not looking necessarily at appreciation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're obviously assuming you're going to get some level of, of appreciation on those assets, but it's more of an existing in place cash flow play. For sure. And, you know, patient. And that was the same play that was made back in 0809 when housing was cut in half because interest rates went up, all that stuff was happening. Same investment funds came in, bought existing homes and then sat on them for four or five years and peeled them out. And there was mm -hmm. different levels of that being done. You hear the stories of people that, you know, raised money and bought 20, 50, 100 homes, sat on them for four or five years, and then, you know, sold them off individually and doubled or tripled their money. Yeah. So, you know, those types of things have been happening for a while. But, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, you look at their alternatives. Okay, I can buy an apartment complex and a three or four cap, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I've got this asset. That's not going to appreciate. You know, I can buy houses at the peak of the market at the top. That's not really going to appreciate, but they're getting depreciation. They're getting long-term income and they're getting a return on their capital that they don't have to worry about, you know, moving. Um, and I think, you know, again, it's a small fraction of the market. So it'll be interesting to see how it grows and how mm -hmm. it expands. Yeah, I think, you know, again, I think when you go, like, you fast forward and you look back, right? If, if it's true, the numbers I've seen that these folks own 2% of single family homes as rentals. I mean, what could it be in a decade? It could be 10%. Yeah. I mean, it could be. I mean, they have enough capital. If they want to go that direction, they will. And I do think it's all about cap rates, right? Because again, a cap rate assumes no mortgage. They're just paying cash. If they can truly get a seven cap in single family homes versus a three and a half or four in apartments, guess where they're going to go? I mean, it's just... Yeah. It's just what the whole subscription happen. model, you know, we'll have subscription houses, subscription cars, you know, everything else is subscription based, right? Yeah, so you, it's, it's you rent it for a little thing. time. Yeah. Yeah. But again, what I think this means for single existing homes is you as an individual. And, and if you, if you look forward 10 years and you see single family homes becoming a true like renter nation, the only answer in my opinion is go get your four as soon as possible. Get lock in 30 year money, do the work, do a good or great deal. Uh, because you're going to be really happy, right? I'm going to, you know. Now, let's caveat that. It mm -hmm. needs to cash flow. So oh, don't go sure. out there and bank on, hey, this thing's going to appreciate. So I don't need to, I can be underwater. To, no, <laughs> don't do that. No. You can pay whatever you want as long as it services the debt and returns on the capital that you're investing that meet your goals. So if you don't need a return and you're, you're fine breaking even on your investment, but the house covers itself, then that's fine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'll tell you where, well, I'll tell you where a lot of the play is right now. Short-term rentals, man, are on fire yeah. because obviously people can't travel internationally. So in this country, um, it, you know, or it's limited, you know, um, it's, it's nuts right now. The area I came from, they are like full capacity, you know, this week when usually it's not that busy this time of year, mm -hmm. all the way out through the rest of the summer. And if you're trying to book a vacation home at, at the beach in most areas of the country right now, good luck. Yeah, I did a daily financial news about three weeks ago when Olivia and I booked our summer vacation. I'm like, folks, do it now because this is going to evaporate and it's it's gone less than a month later. It's crazy. Yeah. But to your point, the only picture in my book, page 18, says no alligators. No alligators. Right. No negative cash flow. Never, ever, ever. Uh, right. Go go buy positive cash flow, positive yield. Don't bet on appreciation. You don't you don't get permission to be stupid just because the market's being stupid. Do the work, find the deal. But again, I think I think folks go get your four. Right. Go get yeah. your four. And here's the thing. So at the end of the day, when you pay that house off, or when your renters, so here's what Michael's really saying: when the renters pay your house off and pay your mortgage off down the road, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, whatever it is, it's going to be worth something. Whether it's worth more or less than what you paid. 
the renters paid for it. They covered the maintenance, you know, to a degree. I mean, as a landlord, you get, it depends on how you write your lease, but hopefully you get a good renter that takes care of the property and does the little things. But at the end of the day, hopefully you've made a little money along the way, but you've got this asset now that is going to be worth something. Even if they're, even if money means nothing, you still have something you can trade because yeah. people got to live somewhere. Yeah. I really do think that the next, the, the, you know, the asset of two, the 2020s, is that a thing? The, the, the decade mm-hmm. of the two, 2020s it's easier to say the 1980s this is 20 oh the 20s the the 20s whatever it is (laughs) the asset of the decade is going to be single family homes go take care of your family do the work no alligators no negative cash flow let let the tide raise all ships and again if you know people this this is not over if they're truly getting seven caps in single family homes and their options is a three and a half you know some is good more is better so i expect to see more i expect that two percent to go to six and it could go to 10 which would change the market i think any closing thoughts greg that's it just you know stay at it get out there keep looking at deals there's deals in every market every type every class you just gotta you know the more competition the more you have to make offers yeah do the work absolutely thanks buddy this has been a great three sessions yeah